Tonight's sermon is a follow-up to last week's sermon, What is Justice? Now let me state again that this sermon is not intended to be political. I'm not concerned with politics or swaying people to one opinion or another politically. I am, however, concerned with trying to best understand the Bible and live by what it says, and what the Bible says often goes against what the world says. While I'm not a fan of politics in the church, there are times when biblical topics become politicized. On such occasions, I believe it's important to make sure we have an informed opinion on those biblical topics based on what the Bible says and the context in which it is written. You are, of course, free to form any opinion you like on a variety of topics, and I would encourage you to do so. Whether you agree or disagree with everything I say is of no real importance. What is important is that the opinions you arrive at come from the Word of God. If God had not given His Word for us to live by, then there would be no issue with saying, every man for himself, do whatever you want. But since God has given us His Word, it's best that we use that as the basis for deciding what is right and what is wrong, and for understanding who God is and what He is like. This will likely be longer than usual and unlike a typical sermon but I feel that it is important to be thorough on these topics. There is a point in conclusion to all this that's being said, and I hope that if you should listen to the end, you will be blessed by it. Last week, we discussed the differences between biblical justice and social justice, and when talking about such topics, there are often other words that enter into the discussion. One of those words is equality. When discussing topics like social justice and equality, it's important that one define the words and our terms being used. Many people may say they want equality, but the word equality may mean one thing to one person and something different to another. Differing definitions become a problem when biblical terms are hijacked and given new worldly definitions. For example, let us take the word love. Love is a key theme throughout all of Scripture. You could probably argue the most important. Think about Scriptures like 1 Corinthians 13.13. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Or John 3.16. For God so loved the world in this way, He gave His one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. Or in John 15, 13, No one has greater love than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. These are just a few, but the Bible is full of scriptures about love. The love of God, the love of Jesus exhibited by giving His life for us on a cross, and the love that God calls us to have for one another. If we want to see love in its purest form, all we have to do is read the Bible. Christians know what love is, and it's not uncommon to hear Christians say that they love others. Love and its biblical definition, however, have been hijacked by the world to mean something much different than intended. The world takes a pure word and uses it to try to hide something evil. The phrase, love wins, has been popular in recent years. I mean, who wouldn't want love to win? You would have to be a pretty wretched person if you did not want love to reign victorious. Based on the biblical definition of love, I absolutely want love to reign supreme, and in Jesus Christ, one day it will. Until that day, we must love others like ourselves, putting the needs of others before our own, helping those who have a need. That's what love is. When Christians are doing those things more and more and having a greater impact in the world, then I say, praise the Lord, love is winning. In our world, however, that is not the definition for what the phrase, love wins, means. In our world, love wins has been hijacked by the LGBT community to mean that it is okay for a man to choose to be with another man, a woman to be with another woman, or that if a man chooses to be a woman or vice versa, they can transform themselves from one sex to another and it's a wonderful thing. Everyone should just be able to do what they choose, love who they choose, and be with who they want to be with. And who are we to tell them any different? After all, if we really love them, we should want them to be happy. And if they are happy and we really love them, we should be happy. Everybody is happy and love wins. 
I don't know about you, but this is not my definition of love, and it certainly is not Scripture's definition. And it definitely is not what I have in mind when I think of love having become victorious. The things that many in the world are calling love, the Bible calls sin. It is sad that the word love and the beauty of what it really means in Scripture has fallen on deaf ears today. Those promoting such sinful behavior often choose catchy phrases like love wins that sound so wonderful that you would have to be a horrible human being not to endorse their cause. If I don't support love wins, at least in the way the world promotes it, then what kind of horrible person must I be? And you call yourself a Christian, many would say. You say you love others, but you are really just a judgmental hypocrite. That's what many would say. To say I don't agree with the term love wins may sound to many in the world as though I'm saying I don't support love. But that is, of course, completely untrue. I most certainly support love. I support love fully in the way in which it is defined in Scripture. I do not, however, support the twisted definition of love that has been given to it by the world. Both Christians and non-Christians may say that they love, but they may each define the word very differently. It is not uncommon for multiple people to define the same word or phrase differently. Perhaps a more practical example will help. A husband and a wife get married, and the husband tells the wife he will do the dishes each night after dinner. The wife is thrilled to hear this news. So each night after dinner, the husband goes to the sink, cleans the dishes, and places them in the drying rack. The wife's initial excitement lessens as she wakes up each morning to find that her husband has not done the dishes. Angry that he has not done what he has said, she addresses him. I thought you said you were going to do the dishes every night. Confused, he responds, but I do wash the dishes every night. The husband thought he was successfully completing the task of washing the dishes each night. The wife thought that he was only half doing the job. That's because each defined the term washing dishes and what all that involves differently. The husband defined the term washing dishes as scrubbing the dishes with soap and water, rinsing them off, and leaving them to dry. The wife's definition of washing dishes, however, is to clean and dry the dishes and place them back in their proper cabinets. How we define something helps determine our expectations. The husband expected his wife to be proud that he was helping her out, but the wife expected all the dishes to be cleaned and put neatly back in their cabinets, with none left on the counter. Neither got what they expected because their expectations were based on how they defined the phrase washing dishes, and they each defined it differently. Now that we have discussed how biblical words are sometimes hijacked and how defining terms differently can lead to confusion, let us draw the discussion back to the topic of equality. When speaking of equality, we may also hear the word fairness thrown around as well. The words don't mean the same thing, but it may be more helpful to understand either with the help of the other. Let me give you another example. Imagine a construction foreman who hires two men, let's call them Mark and Luke, to work for him for one day. Both arrive at the job site at 7 a.m. and work until 5 p.m. Mark begins to work hard as soon as he arrives, competing task after task until 5 p.m., only taking a brief break for lunch. Luke, on the other hand, is often found taking breaks and playing on his phone. He takes an extended lunch hour and does very little productive work throughout the day. At 5 p.m., the foreman pulls the men aside to pay them. He pays Mark $200, but only pays Luke $50. Has the foreman paid the men equally? Well, obviously, he has not. Mark has been paid $150 more than Luke, even though they both have been at the job site for the same amount of time. We can probably all agree that both men were not treated equally according to the definition of equal, which according to the Webster's Dictionary means of the same measure, quantity, amount, or number as another. By that definition, they were definitely both not treated equally. Now let me ask you another question. Were both men treated fairly? You may disagree, but I would say yes, both men were treated fairly. 
You may say, but isn't it unfair that Luke worked just as many hours as Mark only to make a fraction of the money? To that I would say, would it not be unfair for the man who worked hard all day long and accomplished much to be paid the same as the man who didn't hardly do anything? We don't think about unfairness if we are ever treated unfairly and it benefits us. Only do we think about it if we are treated unfairly and it hurts us. If that is the case, then we really can't claim that we care about fairness at all. That goes along with what we talked about last week. That kind of attitude is not one of fairness or justice. Instead, it is what the Bible calls perverted justice. Would Luke from our earlier example complain about unfairness for being paid less than Mark for working the same amount of time? Probably so. But would he complain about unfairness if the foreman paid him twice as much as Mark, even though Luke knew he had done very little work? Probably not. That too would be very unfair. So the issue is really not about fairness at all. It's about getting what you want, whether it's fair or not. It's impossible to always have perfect equality and fairness at the same time in this fallen and sinful world. And if you try to have both at the same time, you will end up with neither. At least not in the way many would define the terms of equality and fairness. So the question may be raised, is God a God of equality? Well, that will depend on how you define equal. If you are defining equal by the aforementioned definition from Webster's Dictionary, then the answer has to be no. This should be fairly obvious to us since some are healthy and some are sick. Some are wealthy and others are poor. You can probably think of many other examples in which we are not all equal. I don't know that that kind of equality is what we should think about when speaking of God. I believe that God created all people equal in that we are all created in His image as stated in Genesis 1.27. So God created man in His own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. No one person is better than another person based on their race, their age, or their sex. I believe the Bible teaches that God created all mankind equally in that He is impartial to one person or another and that He loves all mankind equally. I believe Scripture gives plenty of evidence to support this, so let's take a look at a few. Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Leviticus 19.15 now, from those recognized as important, what they really were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to me. Galatians 2.6 There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Galatians 3.28 There is no favoritism with God. Romans 2.11 And masters treat your slaves the same way, without threatening them, because you know that both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Ephesians 6, 9. Whatever you do, do it enthusiastically, as something done for the Lord, and not for men, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Jesus Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong he has done, and there is no favoritism. Colossians 3, 23-25. I solemnly charge you before God in Christ Jesus and the elect angels, to observe these things without prejudice and nothing out of favoritism. 1 Timothy 5.21 Indeed, if you keep the royal law prescribed in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show favoritism, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. James 2.8-9 Then Peter began to speak. Now I really understand that God doesn't show favoritism. Acts chapter 10 verse 34 now I encourage you to go back and read all of these scriptures in context for yourself so you can see what's being talked about here. But it's abundantly clear from what we looked at just now that God does not show favoritism and he commands us to do the same. 
Even if we accept that God does not show favoritism, it may still be difficult for us to understand how we can allow the fortunes of some in this world to be so bad. And even some who can accept that not all things are equal may ask, but do they have to be so unequal? It may seem that equality in the strictest sense of the definition would solve all of our problems, but we cannot overlook the fact that at least some inequality in the world can be accounted for as a result of hard work, sin, or foolish choices. That is not to say that all who are wealthy have gained their wealth by hard work and honest means, or that all who are struggling are doing so as consequences to sin and foolish living. Some are wealthy because they have worked hard. Some are wealthy because they've cheated others. Some are poor simply because they were born into a poor country. Others poor because they've squandered all they had. There are some in this world born into wealth and others into poverty. Some who work hard all day only to make a few pennies. Others who hardly do any work at all in a day and make thousands of dollars. There are some who sleep in palaces while others sleep on the street. There are some who are well fed and others who starve. Now some of these may seem quite unfair by the world's definition. But in some situations where it seems like unfairness has occurred, it may actually be that foolishness is to blame. I don't know why God allows one to be born to a loving family and another to an abusive one, why he allows one to be born into a country of opportunity and another into a country of poverty, why sometimes he allows the evil to prosper and the righteous to suffer. But I believe that God is right in all he does. I believe he is perfect in all his ways. And therefore, I trust the way he does things and that the things he allows are right. I don't know why God allows what seems to be unequal and unfair to take place, but I fear to think how bad things would be were God not in control. As humans, we tend to view things in a finite sense, but God is working with eternity in mind, and everything he allows is to bring about good for his kingdom for eternity. In this world, it may seem as though God is unfair and treats people unequally, but eternally, God is perfectly equal and fair. We will never fully see that fairness and equality on display in this world because it's corrupted by sin. But for those of us who put our faith in Jesus Christ, we will see it for all of eternity. I believe that perhaps one reason God doesn't fix everything in this world right now is because as long as there is sin in the world, it will be unfixable. Fairness aside, think about this. If God made everyone equal right here, right now, everyone on the planet had their own piece of land, their own home, all the food they need, and their own medical supplies. That sounds pretty good, right? What would the world be like if this were the case? Would everyone be content and live happily ever after? After all, if everyone was equal in every way, then the world would never have any problems again, right? I think not. It wouldn't be long until some had squandered and abused what God gave them. Some would work hard and work their land, grow their crops, and take care of their household. Others would never do anything. Their house would fall into disrepair. They wouldn't work their land, they wouldn't plant, they wouldn't grow, they wouldn't harvest. Some would use their medications as prescribed. Others would abuse their medications. Eventually, when the drugs ran out, they would sell their home and land at a profit to someone looking to gain more wealth, leaving the seller homeless and soon moneyless. Pretty soon, we would be right back where we are, and no matter how many times we try to reset the playing field, the outcome will always be the same. You may not think that that would be the case, but we have lots of scripture to tell us otherwise. Starting in the Garden of Eden and moving forward, God gave his people all they could ever need, and they corrupted it. God can't perfect this planet in the form in which it is, because in the world as we know it, there is sin, and as long as there is sin, the result will always be the same. What many people in this world want is peace and equality, and they think it can be attained through the redistribution of wealth or free health care for all. But the truth is, it cannot. People are looking to the world for something that only God can provide. What many people want, in particular those who do not believe in God, is a peaceful coexistence in this world. 
There is a false belief that this peaceful coexistence can be obtained by equality, and if there was only good in the world and no sin, then this could be the case. But for everyone who wants equality and fairness, there is another that wants wealth and power. For everyone who desires to help people, there is another who desires to harm people. For everyone who wants to give to those in need, there is another who will take from anybody they can. This is the result of sin, and because of this, the peaceful coexistence many seek in this world cannot be obtained. As long as there are corrupt people in the world, we will live in a corrupt world. A changed world comes through changed people, and people are changed only by Jesus. If the world desires peace and love, then it needs to look to Jesus, because it is only through Jesus that people of the world will begin to find what they really desire, and even then it will only come at the arrival of the new heaven and the new earth. And if we are honest, even then we will not experience fairness. After all, how fair is it that Jesus, who was sinless, was punished and died for all of our sins? How unfair is it that we can be forgiven and spend an eternity provided for by God when we are such wretched sinners? Yes, God is a just God, but even better than that, He is a gracious one. I have stated numerous times that we will never have the peace that we desire in this world, but I want you to know that there is more than what this world has to offer. This world is corrupted by sin, and the only way that we can obtain the peace we want is for sin to be abolished and this earth to be destroyed. The good news is, Jesus has taken away the sin of all who will come to him by being nailed to the cross and suffering the punishment of our sin on our behalf so that we could be forgiven. Colossians 2, 13 and 14 says, And when you were dead in trespasses, and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us, and has taken it out of the way by nailing it to the cross. Jesus loved us all enough to die for each and every one of us, even though we were undeserving of it. But we are only saved if we repent of our sin and follow Him. If you haven't done that, I want you to know that you will never find peace, and you will never experience what the truest love really is. Jesus said in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. The world may attempt to give us something disguised as peace, but it is only a cheap knockoff. We begin to experience the peace of Jesus when we become one of his disciples, but that peace won't be fully realized until we are with him for eternity. One day this old world and the sin in it will pass away, and when that day comes, a better world will come with it. Revelation 21, 1-5 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea no longer existed. I also saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them, and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will no longer exist. Grief, crying, and pain will exist no longer, because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. He also said, Write, because these words are faithful and true. I long for the day when all these things will be made new, and I hope that you are following Jesus and long for that day as well. If you ask me whether I believe God is a God of equality and fairness, I would say no based on the way those terms are often defined. But I do believe God is not unfair and does not show favoritism, and I think it is clear throughout the Bible. Any good we receive from God is more than we deserve, and any punishment we receive is fully deserved. 
God does not choose to bless or curse us on any physical basis. God does not accept us because of where we are from, who our family is, what our skin color is, or how much money we have. God accepts us when we accept Jesus. In this world, we can continue to expect inequality, unfairness, and suffering. But let me leave you with these encouraging words of Jesus from John 16:33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. Thank you for joining us for today's service. To learn more about Jesus, call or text Pastor Shan at 601-657-0180 or email him at shanvn at me.com. You can also visit us at www.enterprisebaptist.church or follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Liberty. We hope that you have been blessed by today's service.